everyone has something they learned, whether you want to admit it or not. Uh, you're really damn good at this and you're the best at it in the world, for sure. Just got to just, just zoom in on that. Everyone has an amazing superpower. We are here today on the Gravity Podcast with Ilya Bodner. Ilya Bodner has changed the way people buy, sell, and think about commercial insurance. A startup enthusiast and insure tech pioneer, Ilya is the founder and CEO of Bold Penguin, a rapidly growing tech company headquartered in Columbus, Ohio. Ilya started his career on the front lines as an agent and has been on a mission to upgrade the industry through one successful startup after another. Recent recognitions include Executive of the Year by BizTech and Best in Biz, People's Choice Innovation Leader of the Year by the Insurance Innovation Awards, and Columbus Business First 40 Under 40, Class of 2019. Uh, Ilya, I am proud to call you a friend. I've really enjoyed the time we've spent together over the years now and have been uh, just really impressed with, with what you've created and how you've created it. I, I think I actually was first, I was introduced to you or made aware of you through a mutual friend of ours, Bruce Saul, who uh, sometimes listens to the podcast. So maybe he's listening now. Uh, he's the great connector, mentor in my life. And I remember him kind of talking about you as this like serial entrepreneur early on before anything that, that I know you have created today, but you have been, you know, a a pretty strong creator for a long time in the entrepreneurial space, and I have greatly admired that as well. So, anyway, uh, looking forward to diving in and talking more about your journey. And thanks for being here. Definitely, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I um, really enjoyed to get to know you uh, over the last couple of years. And if Bruce is listening, I'd like to tell him that. Uh, Kind of want to be like him when I grow up when it comes to networking and connecting people. He's like spot on every single time on all the sage advice and the connections he makes. So it's pretty remarkable to have that skill set. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. You know, you and I are, are maybe, you know, going down parallel paths here as we, you know, uh, shift through life. And I also, you know, just look at the impact that somebody like Bruce and other mentors and 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 people you know in my life have had in in giving me sage advice and and sometimes very simple advice and sometimes it's um connections and introductions and um and and in its totality it's like massive it's really life transforming and and so to be able to do that for other people is is super rewarding and and fulfilling and I and I'm sure you know Bruce would say the same thing so Anyway, a big Bruce love fest. Hi, Bruce, if you're listening. Ilya, let's, let's go back and uh, start at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about your early childhood, your upbringing, your family dynamics, and, and kind of what started to shape you at a very early age. Well, let's start with the obvious. So I'm from a place called Tashkent, which is in Uzbekistan. It's part of the former Soviet Union. Um, when I meet people these days, I tell them I'm from Russia just because it's easier than that long-winded when, you know, unfortunately not a lot of people know on the map where things are these days. But um, I uh, was born in, in Uzbekistan, Tashkent, and my family isn't from there. Um, my grandfather 
uh, told me the story many times of how they ended up there, which is basically World War II happened. He's a teenager. His wife, or sorry, his mother throws him on a train uh, and tells him to take that train to the last stop on the railroad tracks. And the final stop in the Soviet Union on that railroad track that he was on, he couldn't go any further, was Tashkent, which was like the outpost. So these days I tell people, imagine taking the Amtram or whatever to wherever the hell it drops you off outside of Seattle. That's kind of where he went to get away from the front. And, you know, he grew up and started a family there. Others had a similar story of just trying to run away, get away as far as they could. Interesting spot to be brought on. It's, uh, it was uh, my childhood, so I didn't know anything different. But um, around uh, when I turned 10 or so, we immigrated to the United States. My upbringing was pretty low-key uh, from a small little a suburb, I guess you could call it like that, uh, for those that understand what I'm talking about, and uh, kind of all moved out here. And uh, I actually remember uh, when I was 10 years old, my parents took out a map uh, and put on the dining room table and said, we're moving to, and of course mispronounced it, uh, this place called Columbus, Ohio. And the cool fact about it, it's the 14th largest city in America. And I'm like, oh, cool. We're going to go to Chicago. We're going to go to Vegas. We're going to go to LA. Uh-huh. Like, no, no, no. I think it's here. Or no, no, I think it's here. You know, they're like trying to point on the map where it is. Yeah. And my friends these days, I tell them, it's like, can you name the 14th largest city in China? It's like your parents telling you, hey, we're moving to China. It's the 14th largest city. We're like, oh, we're going to Shanghai, right? right. Like, right. Everyone right. says. Yeah. Uh, so... We ended up in Columbus. I, I remember landing here, uh, seeing the CMH airport and that funny little squiggly, you know, the design that they have out there. Um, and uh, started here, uh, went to middle school, high school, um, and then eventually Ohio State University. Um, Ilya, say- let me just jump in for a second before we get too far down the path, because right away, I'm curious, you know, this, this zero to 10, I mean, just taking the train, last stop. I mean, obviously, those are formative years, but but you know, very early childhood years too. Your early childhood, though, pretty unique. And I don't want to kind of gloss over. Like, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, what do you, what memories do you have of that experience? And and also, you know, I'd like to better understand like what memories you have of of coming to the United States, like. That again, I mean, I have childhood memories from you know zero to ten, and in that range, I moved to Columbus when I was ten, but from Akron, right? But it was a big deal, right? So tell me, tell me a little bit more about kind of like what that memory is like, what that experience was like for you. Yeah, respect the journalism here, dig into the <laughs> stories. Um, yeah, I did gloss over that. So um, we're Jewish, and uh, we were certainly the minority in Tashkent. Uh, it was a highly Muslim country, which, by the way, took everyone in as their brothers and cousins. Um, kind of one of those magical places where folks are friendly, with, regardless of the background. So uh, anyways, you know, religiously persecuted, quiet, you couldn't really practice it. We kind of grew up all kind of in our own little nook. And uh, yeah, I have some memories of being picked on and you know, talked about as that kid and all that stuff. So. It wasn't all. It was not all sunshine and rainbows, certainly. And when my parents and our family were given the opportunity 
to get the hell out of there. Um, you know, they grabbed it and, and ran with it and didn't even question if it was the 14th largest city or whatever it was. America was the better land and you don't know much about it, but you, you just, you know, Michael Jordan and, you know, Mickey Mouse and, you know, that's the coolest thing ever. And uh, you want to be part of that, not, mm. not anything else. Mm. Um, so I remember growing up, actually, funny enough, uh, having these um, uh, black market VHSs of Michael Jordan and the Bulls playing. And that was like the coolest thing ever. Mm. And uh, I actually have a mem- It's funny you're digging this out of me. I haven't thought about this for years. But uh, when I was eight, the first McDonald's opened up in Moscow. And uh, I'm sure you you can see like even on YouTube uh, where the president Yeltsin took like a shot and, you know, opened it up. It was like a big deal. And I bugged the hell out of my parents to go there. I just, I, this was the thing that I wanted to do to get a taste of uh, what it was all about. And they took me and we stood in line for hours. And I remember my dad bribed somebody to cut in line. And uh, I still have the taste of that McFlurry in my mouth. That's how amazing it was. <laughs> it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, I think that's why I'm so obsessed with Mickey D's to this day. Is like mm-hmm. I just wanted it so bad as a kid. Uh, and I got to taste it when I was eight. And we went through that whole experience mm. uh, to get it. In hindsight, I'm sure it was the nastiest food <laughs> my parents could have gotten me. <laughs> yeah, just grew up you know, in a slightly turbulent times uh, when... Uh, you know, Soviet Union fell and there's a lot of uncertainty and uh, folks with my kind of background weren't, you know, proudly and openly walking the streets. So I think that shaped me a little bit of uh, always, you know, trying to be uh, quiet and, and, and not make a lot of attention and uh, draw a lot of attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. And do you have memories of like what it was like for your parents or have you talked to them about what it was like to be in that turbulent time with a young family to be Jewish, to, you know, you know, aspire to go to America. It's, it's, it's kind of very um, like what you would expect, you know, McDonald's, Michael Jordan, Mickey Mouse, right? Like iconic and, and appears to be amazing. And, and I'm wondering. And it was amazing, by the way, it was the coolest mm-hmm. thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, right. So yeah, a lot of my memories are spotty and it's through, stories and conversation I have from, from my parents. And I uh, certainly lived it, but I was a kid mostly. And my cousins are very close. I have a lot of cousins who are a little older than me. They got to experience it as teenagers too. Yes, many stories. There could be books written about it. Uh, everything from you know the camps and the jail time that some of the adults had in our family to the uh, you can't get an education if you know, in Russia, everyone has a passport and that passport, it, um, it has your religion and your ethnicity. They don't do that in America, but that's how they do it in Russia. So you just look at someone's passport and you're instantly denied or given access to something. That's just how it works there. And no one even questions it. And so, uh, yeah, there's certainly thing, you know, things you couldn't, couldn't do uh, that really drove them nuts. And, and it would any logical person, I think. That they had to get through. So, given the opportunity, they, they got out as immediately as quickly as they could. Mm-hmm. And why Columbus? I mean, I know 14th City. You point on the map, but was there was there something more? I've always wondered, yep. like you know, how people end up in Columbus. Yeah, we should probably bring Bruce on the show so he can give you the better background of that story, given his advice since we mentioned his name. But I think we were just presented a choice: Israel or America. Um, went with America because 
Um, I think my parents just thought it would be the land of opportunity that everyone wanted and why not? And then uh, why Columbus? Uh, you need a sponsor and you need some heritage line to draw to it. Um, we were, I think, more or less of a lottery system got drawn to the local Columbus community that helped sponsor the other side of it, of that equation. And there was organizations that um, literally flew people out. I don't know how deep you want me to go, given your audience, but uh, uh, I'll keep it at this level. Um, mm-hmm. That were drawn to Columbus and New York was a big destination. Cleveland, et cetera. Luck of the draw a little bit. And the other part a little bit is as I got a little bit older and actually connected the dots on our uh, family heritage, turns out we do have family that when the war came, lived on a river. And one side of that river, what fell under Nazi occupation, and the other side of that river didn't. And the other side of that river uh, found their way to America. And landed somewhere around the Dayton area. And so through that lineage, we were able to kind of show, hey, we have roots around this area, give or take. Columbus is a big city. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit more about, uh, you You get here, you arrive here in, in Columbus and you're 10. What What's life like for you? How does it compare to what you imagined it to be? You know, how... how um, is the assimilation process, you know, now in a new country? Yep, sure. So as a child, um, my f- best memories, so we, we had this crazy thing. So we had to take a midnight train out of Tashkent to Moscow, where the charter flight was flying to, to JFK, then Columbus. And uh, we had to leave quietly so no one would see because they were always worried about, you know, all sorts of ruffling. And uh, so we got through that and it was a little bit confusing as a kid. Um, You know, we get to Moscow, quietly find this plane, get on it. And uh, we land in JFK. And I remember my parents buying me a Mars candy bar (laughs) and one of those greasy, nasty JFK hot dogs. Oh, yeah. Nathan's or something. <laughs> so I have those two memories. I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. This is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else shares it, but that's uh, great. To me, that was like, that's it. We made it. This is home. <laughs> so that's, yeah. uh, that's memory one. Uh, and then memory two on the leg between JFK and Columbus, we got to watch Looney Tunes on a TV on the plane. And I, I just, I don't think I've ever seen that many American cartoons that, you know, like that yeah. were available. So that was the other cool part of it. So that that's as a kid. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back as an adult um, at this, it's, it was obviously a very complicated and confusing time. And I'm glad, uh, you know, as a family, we were able to, to make it fun and exciting, uh, but certainly very challenging. Lots. Imagine packing everything you have into a 50-pound suitcase, that's the limit, um, and leaving and starting a new home. Yeah. What would you take with you? And how would you explain it to your kids? Yeah, I think that the, the last part, like how would you explain it to your kids? You know, I, I, I'm really moved by the courage. You know, and, and these stories you've heard, I've heard people here, they're, you know, not uncommon. But, you know, when you start to think about like, well, you're a friend and we're both parents and I know you now, but to think about being in that situation, both as a child and um, maybe even more challenging as a parent, um, n- not knowing so much about what's to come. I mean, 
things that, you know, we worry about now and the future. And, you know, um, when you think about what they were dealing with, it's, it's, it's moving just to think about, you know, how they were able to move through that courageously, successfully, et cetera. And, and I don't want to, you know, get too far ahead. I mean, you tell me, so, you know, you do that, you put it in a 50 pound suitcase and you get here and, and then what, like what, what, what do your parents do? I mean, I know a lot of people that had to totally change professions when they immigrated. So like, yep. tell me a little bit about like, how do they navigate it? How do you navigate it? Yep. Again, as an adult, like just, just taking a step back and then I'll jump into your question. Um, the best I've been able, my parents were younger than, than I am now when they went through that. So I'm 38. And uh, the best I could explain it to f- folks is like, imagine if someone tells you China is the better place to be right now. And you don't know anything about Mandarin. You don't, you can't bring any more than $100 in a 50 pound suitcase. How would you go about it? Would you even take the leap? Uh, so it's kind of nuts that they did for a better, for an idea of a better lifestyle. It's, it's really fascinating to think about it. So we went through that in 93 and came here, plopped here with nothing. Um, yeah, my, my parents had a tough way to navigate and find their way. You know, we were on welfare and food stamps for the longest time. And um, I got to eventually go to a school that, uh, as you know, Brett, in the neighborhood that um, had a lot of a very wild range of wealth. And so, you know, you got kids pulling up in brand new cars with this and that mark. And then you have those that just are fresh off of a food stamp run to Kroger. Uh, so it was, uh, as a kid, it was confusing. As an adult, I can now say, I look back at that. I was definitely the angry kid during all of that. I was the ones like, this is bullshit. Why is it me? Why can't I be like that? I want the cool lifestyle. I personally made a choice to kind of harness that fire and turn it into fuel. I've seen a lot of people that got burnt by that fire and it ate away in a negative way. But as a, so this is me kind of reflecting on that, but you know, us in that moment, yeah, just very little means living in apartments, trying to leverage friends' relationships. Uh, I actually remember when my, my parents worked 515 an hour, that was the minimum wage and welding, uh, welding canopies. So, you know, education, that's the one thing they can't take away from you. That was uh, definitely drilled home uh, into my head quite a bit. And another neat thing about Columbus uh, is uh, there's a little bit of sense of community. There was, uh, there was many families here. I, I don't know the exact count, tens, hundreds, um, that were going through the same thing. So we all kind of stuck together. Part, sometimes it was not okay because we were kind of all grouped together, but other times it was great because you had kind of safety numbers, if that makes sense. So again, certainly not sunshine and rainbows. And by the way, I didn't speak any English. Uh, and I was one of those kids that didn't adopt really well. It took me a little bit of time to get English right. And if you've ever seen me write, you would think I still haven't adopted to English. I lost my accent. That's probably the only positive thing. I haven't quite mastered the the grammatical part of it or the grammar part of it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering, you know, that uh, you describe this experience in many ways. It sounds um, far from the American dream, right? I mean... Um, it, you know, there's, there's, as you described, it's a pretty great picture to paint, you know, the idea of moving to China and having to learn Mandarin and having a hundred dollars and 50 pound suitcase. In, right? in the 14th largest city in China too, whatever uh, that is. 
Yeah, right, right. So not the not even the Columbus that we know today. And so, you know, I, I'm wondering, you know, just thinking about your parents working for five fifty an hour and welding awnings, and you know, you um, not you know adapting to the language that quickly, and you know, does the American dream change for you in 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 kind of the experience of it, or? Do you still, and I'm not talking about in reflection, you know, because, because you know, I certainly think you have lived the American dream, but at the time when you're going through that stage in life, do you feel like, geez, like, you know, this is, this is far from dreamy? It was very far from dreamy for sure. And again, I was the kid that had a grudge. However, everything is relative, right? Like, we came from quote unquote slums. So the fact that you can, I, I remember the eyes on my, I immigrated with my grandparents. I remember the eyes on their, their, the, their faces when we walked into Kroger to the grocery store and every kind of produce is fresh and right there. And you can just grab at any quantities and walk out having bananas in the winter time or fresh apples in the middle of I don't know what month is not, they're not fresh anymore because I'm not you know, into that, but they were just like blown away. And so it was very relative and you can have access to food and no matter how crappy things were in a stuffy little apartment, it seemed like a palace yeah. compared to you know, outdoor going to the bathroom that you had to sometimes do. Uh, so yes and no. I mean, yeah. on one hand, it was certainly not the lifestyle that um, we have today. But at the time, it was very relative to, it's like, there's a, you can say whatever you want about the government. There's still programs out there that took care of you, that gave you an honest thing. And it was just, it was um, at the time, you know, people around me, and I think this is what shaped me, uh, would start, you know, family dinners by first saying, God bless America and how an amazing place this is and how you could be whatever you want to be. Sure, we didn't start with a silver spoon, but it worked out great. I, I, uh, I'm glad to hear you kind of highlight the relative piece because it's um, a great perspective, you know, to be able to compare it to a slum and the life that you were living and still be able to see the gratitude for what the country was offering. And, you know, as we kind of move forward, you know, and and I mentioned, you know, I my my view of you is is certainly having you know fulfilled on all that is dreamy about opportunity in America, but but I'm curious, was it the kind of like almost chip on your shoulder or that you know that fuel that brought you into entrepreneurship, or is that also? Kind of in the DNA bloodline, you know, in the fact that your parents, I mean, the risk that they took, you know, again, when you describe the, you know, if you were presented with that option and and they said yes to it, I mean, the courage. And 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 maybe it's that like the other option was so bad they just had to take the risk, but still m- most people don't. So where does this kind of, you know, Entrepreneurial and or you know um, aversion to risk or or, or tolerance for risk uh, come from. Yeah, so I think a couple things. Uh, but before I go to where I think it came from, what actually was happening around me when I was ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, whatever, 
every adult male figure around me um, had their own little business. Uh, one of my uncles uh, became a taxi cab driver. He got a medallion. He got a crew working for him. My dad bought a sewing uh, kit, and then he ultimately started sewing things out of the other bedroom in our apartment and called it his mini business that grew all right. Um, and then somebody bought a pawn shop. Somebody became a musician and did venues. So they were all, I didn't know the word at the time, entrepreneur, but they were all quote unquote, small business owners and, and doing things. And, and again, it's all relatives. When you actually start counting the money, sure, maybe a hundred bucks doesn't mean much these days, but back then, US dollars, and you could do so much with it. It was just, it was fascinating. So what was happening around me is that a lot of people were doing that and they were trying to make a name for themselves. Um, and I don't know where, exactly where that fuel came from, but that's what they were doing. And so I just grew up immersed in that. The other thing that was going on is um, I was just constantly reminded at every twist and turn that you can really be whatever you want to be here. You don't have that thing in your passport that has your ethnicity and religion. You, you can become whatever the hell you want and no one here will stop you. You can wear you know whatever you want on the street, whatever color, any time of the day, and there won't be somebody saying to you, no, go home. Uh, well, you know, most of the time here. I guess I'm embellishing a little bit, but you get the idea. And I just had this like drilled in over and over and over. Um, and I was seeing it over and over and over. And that felt great, man. That felt awesome. Um, yeah, sure. Kids pick on you at school, but when adults give you that kind of encouragement, it's actually happening aloud around you. That was fascinating. Now, when I go back as an adult to like think about all that, sure, that was that, that's all wonderful. Um, I do think that my family heritage has a lot to do with it because at every generation we have moved, that at every generation there was some terrible, terrible thing that happened that you got got to get through. Uh, and they did. And now I'm complaining about the size of my Starbucks order. And it's, you laugh because every problem is like silly little thing. Yeah. Well, your Starbucks order is a bit um, com- intricate. So it's not like my black coffee. So you have a little more to complain about there. Um, well, it, it's, it's, uh, it makes sense. And, and I do think that there's this um, you know, environmental thing and this heritage and then your own experience that really contribute to your state of being and you know, um, having smart, hardworking, motivated people hustling and being creative all around you has got to have an impact, especially when this has been going on for generations. Um, tell me a little bit, uh, as you start to kind of move through high school, into college, you know, kind of what happens and when the first um, kind of you know, real entrepreneurial uh, commitment or effort happens. Sure. Um, as I've already said, I was uh, the kid that had the fire. Why, why isn't it me? Why don't I have a safety net? So it was, it was a little tough to go through high school with that mentality. Um, but I, had, I was surrounded by a fun group of friends that were foolish like me that made it fun. So we, we got through and I, I don't know. I think it's everything that I'm just describing in you. I, I just never for a second thought I would work for a company. Like I just didn't... That thought has never crossed my mind. It did a little bit later here and there, but not at that stage. I just saw you know, every figure around me have their own small business. That, that's what I got to do. It's that simple. 
I also wanted to prove something. I, I, I really wanted to prove that I could just overtake everything that's around me. So that was my, my high school experience in a nutshell. Obviously, a lot of more twists and turns in there. My first gig, um, which I'll proudly say, was uh, I really needed to pay for spring break. High school, senior year, spring break. Everyone is going to Mexico or uh, Florida or whatever. And my parents didn't have any money, um, certainly not enough to pay for a foolish uh, Cancun trip. And I really wanted to do it. And I was not going to be left out. So I decided to... This was actually circa right around the time eBay was starting to be hot. Um, I don't know how this all came about, but I started driving around every pawn shop in Columbus and buying old Nintendo 64s and Playstations and immediately selling them on eBay for like 20, 30, 40 bucks more. So the point where like one week, I remember I drove around every pawn shop and I cleaned them all out. There were just no more (laughs) Nintendo 64s that I could flip like that. Or maybe they just caught on that selling them on eBay, they could do themselves. <laughs> um, but that was my first thing. So I was like, huh, I can buy something and find a market to sell it for a little bit more, make a margin, that margin's my profit. And then we had like a whole little thing of people pack, packing boxes, et cetera. But it was out of a need to, to do something fun and actually turned it into a business by adding more than just N64s, other items and had a whole system down. and continue to go and grow that. That was my first big splash at it um, of how to go around it. And there, there's actually a lot of people around here uh, that have like all sorts of odd, odd end things that they buy and, and parse it out and sell those littler items at a markup. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no question. In fact, I'm just reminded of Bruce again. He introduced me to a friend or, or, or shared with me a friend of his that made a massive business um, selling toys um, yep. on Amazon until I think Amazon actually purchased the company. It's, 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 you were definitely onto something, even if it was, you know, a relative and at the time and to pay for spring break, you know, that, that (laughs) was pretty forward thinking, um, you know, when you, when you look back. Yep. That was actually my first jump into um, uh, IT or computers. My mom actually went into IT and a lot of my family did IT and, 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 um, and the uh, medical profession. And uh, that's when I started just messing around and learning that I, I really like it and, and being on it. And there's this whole world that you can access through AOL at the time um, that exists and um, something to do with it. Uh, so I think a, a lot of it stemmed from that. Yeah. Okay. And so, so you, you go to Ohio State and it seems like the logical nat- natural progression um, you got a big university in your hometown, you know, in-state tuition. Was that like a, a no-brainer for you or, or did you consider going elsewhere? Yeah, based on the heritage um, and kind of where I'm from and what I do, and if others are listening to this with similar backgrounds, you know, um, kids aren't allowed to leave their house, uh, not until their early 20s. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't like you go, you have three schools, you have capital down the street, you have OSU or you can go to a local community college, just do something, uh, but stay home uh, for a little bit longer. So um, I, what did you study? I studied whatever would get me a degree quickest. Um, okay. That was my scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm not proud of it. And I hope my kids will never listen to this podcast, but uh, <laughs> I certainly, you know, zigzagged and weaved in this and that. I ended up graduating with... Um, uh, international business uh, degree. 
Yeah. Uh, but um, turns out in, in Fisher Business School, you're supposed to maintain a certain GPA for them to keep you. I, I learned about that after the fact. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, OSU was a f- fantastic experience. Um, I was half in, half out the entire time. My, uh, my, my parents made it a non-negotiable. You have to come home with that diploma. I had so much uh, entrepreneurial you know, spirit in me at the time that it was hard to, to do both. But I had a company and, and things going and growing. Um, but I, I did manage to get an international business degree in four years. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have a funny story about that, if you want to hear it for a second. I paid for OSU uh, because I had a uh, food cart. Uh, that's how I pay for the tuition. We, uh, my friend and I, bought a Wiener Mobile, is what we called it. Uh, we sold hot dogs and euros outside of uh, OSU football games. And uh, first of all, it's amazing what people will pay for a hot dog. Just fascinating as the day go by, especially uh, after a few beers. Yeah, as the day goes by, the prices shoot through the roof. Let me tell yeah, you. Right. Um, and uh, in eight games, home games, you can make enough money uh, running that food cart to pay for years of tuition at that time. I don't yeah. know what it is right now, uh, but that's what we did. And that's when I got my sales skills all sharpened yeah. up. Yeah, great. So, you know, it's an interesting thing um, and I want to, you know, kind of fast forward into your professional life that, that emerges. But, you know, obviously this entrepreneurial spirit is so high and I'm like you, I was, you know, I mean, I don't even know if I had a half that was in. Um, I was out mostly and, and out for a variety of reasons, but a lot of um, my um, kind of interest were in in other things and including in, in the world of, you know, being creative and, and eventually an entrepreneur wasn't, you know, the word I was using at the time. But um, I have the same thing where I'm like, well, I want my kids to go to college and, and I want them to get a degree and I want them to study and I want them to learn. Um, yet, you know, your experience was not that, and it, and it was also very rich, very full, um, you know, very educational in its own way and, and led you kind of perfectly where you needed to go. So, you know, how do you feel about that kind of dynamic, which I think, you know, even more and more as time goes on, people are seeing, you know, boy, is, is college worth it? Yeah. I certainly don't want the message to be bad students get ahead. That that is not at all what I'm trying to promote here. And when I said that, you know, my degree was a non-negotiable for my parents, I, I agreed with that. It's not like I told them that they were foolish, that it's not necessary. I, I, I understand the value of a good education. I just sometimes was a little squirmy about it. You know, it was never, never from the start for a second in my mind, anything but living the American dream. I didn't call it that until just very recently, but I wanted a big house, big lawn, fun cars, a wife, kids, vacations, the whole shebang. I wanted to pay my taxes. I wanted to you know, wave the little flag over 4th of July parades. I wanted that so bad because I grew up in a neighborhood where I saw like every other house having that. Period. End of story. And until I lived on the street that I wanted to live and until I have that picture I could take outside that I want to take, I'm not resting for a second. Again, like I said, part of that was just anger and I was able to put that fire into good use. Uh, but the other part of it was just kind of the, the logic I think I was instilled in. Education helped tremendous. OSU helped me. Like I said, it was a great experience because it was like a little city for kids in a big city for adults, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. You can like dabble with things at OSU and 
understand how people would react and still have not the consequences of the big city. I hope that that relates to others. Yeah, Ilya, I think that um, as you, most people know you for Bold Penguin today. And I think many people know that you founded Root Insurance. And yet I don't know that many people know much before those two big companies today. Uh, and, and I want to make sure we talk about those experiences, but maybe you can kind of give us a, a little highlight reel as to what you did with that diploma before you started to land on some of these eventual unicorns. Sure. Do I have to? They were horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's uh, helpful for the audience who might be going through it now. Yeah. Those that have emailed me see a little tag, nine out of 10 things you do fail. Um, one success is worth all the tries. I have had so many failures. It's ridiculous. I, I, don't, I probably like have a scroll that rolls down and outside the room if you were starting to list them. Uh, but every every single one, I you know, it's like a kid getting your hand burnt and learning not to touch it again. Certainly valuable lessons. I didn't go into it to learn a bad lesson. Uh, it, it it happened, and I, I wrote it down. So I had debt consolidation business. I had a, um, a marketing company for law firms. Um, I had you know, quick get rich schemes online. Um, I had um, other marketing PR companies. I had an insurance agency, which instilled uh, what I'm doing today. The list goes on and on and on. Um, never shortage of ideas or things I wanted to pump out. Um, it probably wasn't until my uh, fourth one that didn't turn out okay that I actually started writing down a little bit of a learning lesson. Just a little note in my Evernote, a few sentences about what I think I did wrong and then what I think went wrong. Um, so two or three sentences around that and try to try to use it. Uh, but each one has shaped me. Insurance has been a theme in what I do, certainly. Um, I had an insurance agency, two of them. Uh, we had a tech company we built around an insurance agency. And that just as an industry is something I started to gravitate towards because it was old, it was boring, it was all messed up. People really don't understand much underneath the surface. And that seemed like, to me, the perfect kind of thing to get into, try to build and make margin in the messiness that doesn't seem sexy. Uh, and so to kind of summarize what I'm ranting here is I've tried a lot of different things. Um, certainly each one has given me a little bit more capital and a little bit more personal strength to go out and do uh, the bigger things. Um, Shipyard was one right before route. I partnered up with a few folks in town in Columbus to run a pretty large, uh, what became later as a marketing at tech company. Uh, and that gave me the courage and the, some things that I learned along the way about myself to, to go for the bigger, bigger opportunities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering because of the many efforts and then also the uh, kind of uh, landing in, in the insurance space, um, you know, the shipyard experience, you know, then, you know, to root to bull penguin, how much of the path is about your unique ability on the start and the kind of excitement and energy that goes into that early creation of a business versus you know the eventual operating role that 
is inevitable as you land and ground and grow. Yeah. Um, you know, are you war, are you more wired as a as a as a front end quick start, and and that's why you've been able to have so many ideas and so and, and kind of move into so many things, even if you know they didn't always work. I learned that about myself, and only until a couple of years ago did I proudly start saying that. It was something that I I was a little ashamed of because I didn't think I was well rounded. So at that time. I thought I was starting a business that I was going to have forever with every single one of them that I was going to run and pass on to another generation, maybe even. But what I learned about myself is I am a lot more excited. I'm a lot more energized. I'm a lot more successful. I can get other people along from zero to 60 or zero to 100 or one, you know, zero to 10, whatever vector scale you want to use. Um, and uh, it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I even said to others, hey, I'm really the startup guy uh, that can get things going. And I actually have a bit of a formula in my head to how that is, uh, how that works. I'm happy to share that. Uh, But it took a lot of learning lessons about myself. Where do I fit into that journey at the beginning and the middle uh, towards the end or the next evolution or rebirth? Yeah, I wonder if like some of those notes you were taking along the way with with the quote failures you know, was part of that learning that it didn't work because at a certain point, somebody else needs to be involved to, you know, make it work. Was that part of the learning or was that not something that you were even present to until later? No, totally. Totally. I started taking notice. I'm, I'm getting so many good practice runs at starting something that each time I'm getting better and better at it. It's never, you know, graduated all the way to the end to learn the other yeah. parts of it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a great thing to highlight because I'm a big believer in finding your unique ability, which is the thing that you're really good at and that you love to do. And that being the way to drive the most value to the business and then putting people around you that are also in their unique abilities. And um, that's just kind of what I'm hearing you discovering, what yours was and then how to complement that. Tell me a little bit, whatever you want. You know, I know we've got about 10 minutes left and I want to make sure we talk about Bold Penguin. Tell me you know, about Root and, and anything that you feel is um, relevant for the audience to hear. Sure. Uh, just a little bit back to what you were saying. My favorite interview question right now is, what is your superpower that I like mm-hmm. to ask people? That's my way of asking, what are you really good at? Or what have you perfected over time? It takes a while for people to get into that. And actually, most people smirk kind of like you did. Well, it's funny. Superhero. Yeah, well, no, no, no. I actually totally agree. One of the the kind of funny uh, kind of quotes at our company is I was um, once in a meeting with a whole bunch of designers. I might have told this story before on the podcast, but they were dreaming up things and they were amazing and they were also never going to work or be within our budget. And, and I said, you know, our superpower is we get shit done. <laughs> and they like all thought that was like the, you know, most amazing thing. I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. Like, you know, we dream big, but we get shit done and it's a superpower of ours. And I believe in, you know, these are our superpowers. I, I love it. Yep. Yep. No, that, that's, uh, that's it. I, I've, I have understood what mine is, um, I think. Uh, and you always learn, right? You always yeah. adapt and every few years you change, but I think that's it for me. And I try to get it out of um, everyone around me uh, because everyone has that. Everyone has that's something they learned, whether you 
you want to admit it or not. Uh, you're really damn good at this and you're the best at it in the world, for sure. Just got to just, just zoom in on that. Everyone has an amazing superpower. It's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So, um, you know, Bull Penguin and just working a little bit backwards from that, I, um, through my years of starting upness, if that's even a word, I, I learned that insurance is an industry and it's a huge industry. What does insurance even mean? There's just so tons and tons there that as an industry, is something that works for me. I've had a little bit more, a little bit more success in insurance and other industries. I also figured out that I live in like the best freaking city for insurance. You know, there's literally a street downtown that you can walk down and hit a couple major headquarters of different insurance companies. And then when you start looking at like the employment, insurance employs a bazillion people around here. So things were starting to like kind of click in my head subconsciously that, Hey, like maybe I should do something in that because of all these right ingredients, there must be something in the water here. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I actually had a pretty good run at running at an insurance agency at the time. So I got some hand-to-hand combat. I know what it's like. I, I know what I'm personally good or bad at. And, I, and I'm starting to understand what people want and don't want past the surface of like car insurance and home insurance. What, what does that actually mean? So a lot of those things were coming together. I also learned from my experience that, or I believe that everything that is a startup requires three parts to the stool. You need idea, capital, and people. And they got to be equal parts of the stool. One can't be more than the other. You can't have a lot of capital, but like a foolish team that's building it, or you can't have a best idea, but the wrong people doing it, so on and so forth. You really need people, idea, capital. It was starting to formulate in my head that an idea uh, exists where no one really understands how business insurance is bought and sold, or sometimes it's painful, or why it's painful. Capital, I've learned over the years of how to leverage, um, or not leverage, sorry, how to borrow money. I've had a fantastic run with understanding how venture capital works. And when to use that, because that is another thing that's like fire. If you're like paying with matches, if you don't do it right, that'll burn you up. If you do it right, uh, it's right. And I certainly haven't mastered it, but I understood enough about the basics. And I spent a lot of years in Columbus networking, so I could really bring in the right team. And so it was, it was all the ingredients that I needed for Bold Penguin. I just want to digress for a second there about the right team. Uh, people ask me all the time, why Columbus? You know, yes, I immigrated here, but there's nothing else holding me to it. For a business, I really can't think of a better place. I think you and I grabbed coffee the other day, and I mentioned like you're always two or three coffees away from anyone you want to meet. It's magical. I mean, that's just not the case in many other cities. Yeah. If you really want to meet someone, you can here. Uh, Just put your mind to it. And so uh, I was able to, in my head, back to Bull Penguin. Um, find the right team through all the networking, uh, attract enough capital and have enough of my own since I um, had a couple of fantastic run, one which actually went public. And the idea that I had was in insurance, buying and selling commercial insurance or business insurance is a little tricky and sometimes it takes a little longer than you need it to. So perhaps we can make a splash there. It was right around the same time that I realized what I can do better than anyone else that I believe my superpower is to take this from zero to a hundred. 
And while it's obvious that like, here's a gap, why isn't anyone doing about it? The not so obvious is the hard work that goes into building and taking it from zero to one to two to three to four, get all the way to a hundred. And that's why I decided to focus all my time and energy on. And that became Bull Penguin and um, it became a huge company, uh, massive. Not Massive so company, including you know a recent transaction, which is probably in some ways a, a bit of an exclamation point on you know your career to this point, and and in some ways maybe it's just the beginning. But you know, I I I, I am curious, and maybe you can share a little bit with the audience, just you know, for a, a minute or two, the kind of big learnings because you did go zero to a hundred. You took. In my, in my, from my perspective, you took all of the experience. And this is why you know, I love this format of the podcast because I can see the trace back through your lineage, through your you know, courage to come here, to the you know, chip on your shoulder, to the pawn shop eBay, and, and on and on and on. All of that experience, it appears like you put it all to work at Bold Penguin. And and you've had a tremendous amount of success pretty quickly. And you know, I know in the startup world, in the VC world, like things can happen fast, but we all know that you know, a lot of, in a lot of cases, they just die. It doesn't happen at all, let alone as fast as it's happened with Bold Penguin. So maybe you could just say, like, one, you know, is it true that, that that's like the culmination of all your experience? And, and two, you know, what's it been like to, to kind of take it from the beginning to you know the recent transaction. Yeah, I'll start out by saying it's not for the faint of hearts. It is not as cool and awesome as it is when you read it. It is not as glamorous about if you see it through the pictures. There's a lot of shitty, shitty, hard, dark moments. And that's the majority of it, by the way, a lot of hard work. So I'd, I'd like to start with that. I'm not trying to scare anyone away from it. I'm just trying to be real that um, past the glamour and the pictures and the high fives, uh, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into a day in and day out. Um, if Bull Penguin was a sport, or if starting Bull Penguin was a sport, or if this was a, a finals game, um, I could proudly say that I left everything on the court. There was not a square inch of me that I would say I held back or hedged or reserved. Everything was out there and took it all the way to the wall every single time, every second. It took everything out of me. I mean, every, even the things I didn't even think I had. Um, so again, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I'm just trying to uh, keep it real. Like it's, it's survival mode and you got to be ready to, to drop dead on the middle of the court there if this was a sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and is it a sport that you love? Right. I'm, I'm madly in love with it. Yeah. See, yeah. And I just want to make sure we, we, we like yeah. say that because Thank yeah, you. It, you know, it, it, it is, but I think it's that love for it that, that fuels you to go through it. I couldn't imagine doing anything else, yeah. really. It, it's, it's crazy. And that was the other thing I wanted to say to give others. Uh, what I, is it true? I would also say like what I went through for the last five years of Bull Penguin, you have to be crazy. You can't be a normal person. You have to be slightly not okay up there. And I can say with a joking, a little bit self-deprecating humor to go in and say like, I'm going to fall off a freaking cliff if I don't do this right. And that's okay. And by the way, I don't have a parachute. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Right. <laughs> Every day. Um, so it is not logical by any means. There is no straight arrow, a straight shot. Uh, you have to just go all, all in on that. And, it, and it's, a, it's a very fun ride. Um, and I enjoy it. 
Is it um, absolutely all the things I learned about myself and the business helped get it to where it is today? Uh, but one thing stood out the most to me, and that is the work of other people. I think that in a in a company, especially a tech company, especially the one you know we're one of the largest insure tech deals we uh, sold to American Family Insurance and continue to live on. I'm excited about this next chapter, which hopefully you'll invite me to another podcast to talk about. But Bull Penguin isn't done. This is just the starting line. Um, but to get here, it is not a one man job. It is not a one woman show. Um, it takes a whole freaking colony to pull something like this off. Um, and the biggest learning lesson I got out of this, other than you know, it's not for the faint arts, which is just a statement, is it really takes a lot of exceptional people that are hand selected, working together very hard to do something like this. Yeah, it's yeah. a team sport. No question. No question. And I think the fact that you highlight that and that, that you're aware of that, you know, says a lot about who you are and why people want to work with you and, and, and take your lead. I know that you're up against the 12 o'clock here and, and I want to be respectful of your time. Final thoughts. And, and maybe what, I, what I'd love to hear is you have the American dream. You know, you have the house and the 4th of July parade and the family and whatever else you dreamed of is available to you. What's it like? How does it compare? Um, you know, now that you're here, you know, is it what you thought it would be? It just hit me, by the way. I know it's silly to say, but I talk about the American dream so much. The company is American Family Insurance. It, it, just, <laughs> yeah. it just hit me. I, yeah, that's <laughs> great. That. I love uh, it. But uh, so a couple of things there. The way we structured this deal was for Bull Penguin to live on and for it to be a fully autonomous, independent business that continues to flourish because we just scratched the surface and what we're doing, we're just not done yet. And uh, and the part that's great about all of this is so far and into the future, that continues to be the case. I work with exceptional people. Bull Penguin's still Bull Penguin. I do what what I want and think is right for the company. And we continue to flourish as a team. There's a lot of really smart people around me that are way better than me and all these other things. And they continue to drive it forward. So it's been in some ways business as usual. In other ways, uh, we have like more equipment to go on to this next journey or this next act. If you're into hiking and this is the you know Mount Everest, imagine us getting to base camp too. And we have reinforcements of oxygen and all the food and all the things you need. So it's been absolutely stunningly amazing. I got exactly what I bargained for, and we have all the firepower we need to conquer the world. And I'm excited. I'm like, as I'm talking to you, I'm even excited about it. The other part of it is, I don't feel like I actually accomplished all that much. I mean, sure, there's been obviously some successes, but I do have this chip on my shoulder still, or there's probably a more positive way to say it, but I have this. In their internal desire to do something, uh, I heard a saying the other day: "You go from success to significance." I, I don't think I did the significance part, uh, and Bull Penguin can be significant, uh, and so we're continuing on with that. And that you go on that journey not by yourself, but with many others, and you can go further. Uh, so we're continuing to recruit exceptional people, and we continue to harness the power of our partnerships and customers and go um, boldly into the future to see what I did there. 
<laughs> so it's it's very exciting uh, and thrilling. I would say that it's also the excitement is the uncertainty. I've not been here before. I don't know what it's like to be acquired and continue to run your company. Um, I have every intention to make it just amazing. Uh, but the exciting thing is it's not spelled out and it's for ours to make amazing. Uh, and Bull Penguin has always been a place where uh, I get to create something like literally whatever we're doing today did not exist in the universe yesterday. That is so thrilling. That's so fun. That's so exciting uh, that uh, we continue to do that. And I'm just jazzed up to know where it's going to go tomorrow and the day after. Ilya, uh, thank you for sharing all of that. And just, you know, as a friend, it's a real pleasure to watch you on this journey. And um, yeah, a chip on the shoulder not, might not be right. It's more now um, energy, enthusiasm, you know, um, desire, hunger, whatever you want to call it, that I think is fueling you now. Uh, that significance piece is a great aim. And, you know, you are amazing in the uncertainty. I mean, this is where you thrive. And so to be at a, a, a you know, base camp too with all those tools and still have it be uncertain, um, I, just have no doubt this it will be significant and it's fun to watch and it's 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 good to be with you today and and along uh, just you know from from a, uh, an observer seat uh, as a friend so thanks again for your time for everything you shared and and keep up the great work thanks for having me this was a blast to talk about everything keep on doing this too that's a great way to spread the message for many people wonderful take care thanks Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman, on Twitter at BKaufman125, and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for The Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.